Welcome back to another new episode of the Codings Pro interview series. I'm your host, Ben DuBose, and I'm a staff writer with Codings Pro Magazine. In this special episode, we're sharing a peek into one of our new features at the magazine in 2021, which is showcase profiles of SSPC members. This, of course, is being done to highlight the ongoing integration of SSPC, the Society for Protective Codings, and NACE International, and to spotlight how the new combined organization known as AMP, the Association for Materials Protection and Performance, can best serve the industry for codings contractors. Today, I'm joined by Justin Susan Yao, president and co-founder at Black Bear Coatings and Concrete, to discuss some of his company's keys to success and what he sees as potential priorities for AMP and the broader coatings industry moving forward. So keep on listening to get to know a little bit more about Justin and how Black Bear is finding success throughout the New England region of the United States. Justin, I think a good place to start, if we could, would just be to give some background on both yourself and Black Bear. Basically, when and how was the company formed? When did you join in? Just give our listeners some background about what makes Black Bear Coatings and Concrete what it is. Sure. We, um, the company was birthed really as a painting contractor. Uh, we started as a residential painting contractor, did some commercial work. Um, and then the co-founder at the time, John and I, uh, we teamed up and really got into industrial floors. Uh, if I told you, you know, 10, 12 years ago, when we really made the switch and got rid of our other service offerings that I would become, um, you know, an industry expert type person, I would think you were crazy. Um, so we really fell into the floors themselves and really what attracted us was the niche business, uh, the mm-hmm. niche service offering and the ability to build something and be able to do things that other contractors were not able to do and allow us to have like a unique value prop. So for someone such as yourself that, you know, you mentioned not knowing that you would become an expert in this field, how important was SSPC and the membership to you? Just talk if you could about, um, I suppose for you, the company, whatever it is, the importance of your participation and affiliation over the years, especially when you were getting started? A lot of it was in the beginning to have access to industry information um, and have the ability to search and query, whether it be vendor partners, you know, other contractors, or just like a resource of information. Um, Obviously the SSPC has transformed over the last decade or so. but that was really the initial reason and what we were looking for. So we were talking offline before you joined or, or before we launched the podcast, excuse me, about your internal training programs and how one of the real challenges these days and getting workers up to speed when they join the company. Yeah. Where I'm curious that this might tie into the merger with regards to SSPC and NACE and where we go from here with AMP, that seems like a pretty common challenge, this idea of developing and retaining a skilled workforce. What have you sort of done on that front with those programs and how can the industry potentially work together on those types of initiatives? That's a loaded question. So yes, you know, one of the things, and I think everyone right now in general is struggling to find tradesmen to be able to work in the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it makes it even more important for employee retention, right? 
Um, so one of the things that we developed here at Black Bear is our core purpose is to help people build lives they want to live. We really try and run our organization unlike others in the industry, uh, where there's a propensity to run guys seven days a week, uh, you know, no work for two weeks, and then we go on 21-day benders. We really try and create consistency for um, our workforce so that they can have vacation time, as an example, spend time with their family, you know, set up retirement accounts, all that stuff. On top of that, you know, where our skill sets are so technical in nature, one of the reasons we looked at building an internal training program and really starting um, to find ways to get people from zero experience to impactful on the organization, um, because, you know, with the type of work that we do, um, it's not when it goes right, it's when it goes wrong, when experience is very important, right? Um, and, you know, just for us to put a pin in it, there's a lot of people who, you know, we, we're purely a flooring contractor, you know, seamless floors, whether it's urethane cement, whether it's epoxy, uh, whether it's grinding seals, polished concrete, you know, all we do is touch horizontal surfaces where, you know, there may be people who are listening who will spray polyureas on walls, or they'll do uh, tank coatings and all those different type of things. Uh, we really try and have a core focus, and that is flat surfaces, concrete, um, and seamless floors. So we're looking to train people for that. And one of the things, and, and I think people would relate, is that none of that exists. The only trainings that are out there are from manufacturers. The only trainings that are out there are from people who want to sell you product, their product specifically. It doesn't help when you you need to train people how to travel seamless code base. It doesn't help mm -hmm. when you need to train people on how to apply an eighth inch urethane slurry as opposed to a quarter inch slurry or a trowel down floor or pitching, right? All these different things that make our industry unique and require a technical skill set. There's no platform to train people outside of our internal organization. Um, so moving forward, you know, your question was, how we see that with the SSVC, we'd love to see things that relate to specific um, segments of the coatings world, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you could have a whole training on tanks, you could have a whole training on secondary containment, you know? Um, and I think that is would be extremely helpful and what really we're trying to do internally uh, as we grow. And it sounds like you're really emphasizing when you explain how that would work, that it's contractor-led rather than manufacturer, right? Because I'm getting this picture when you're explaining how it works, as a manufacturer will do that type of training, but it's specific to their type of product as opposed to a certain environment and you don't always have full control over what the materials are. So it sounds like when you talk about those types of training, it feels like sort of a important part of it is that you have some sort of autonomy as, or, or the contractor's perspective, I should say. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting framework um, because it, it, I'm not, there are really good manufacturers out there who offer mm -hmm. decent trainings, but the training is only as good as the trainer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it really depends on who's putting on the training itself. Okay. Um, and, Again, you know, some of it is that you train in vacuums, like you're training okay. in warehouses. You're not training in a facility where water's dripping from a pipe. 
You're not training in a facility where the temperature hasn't come up right. You're not training in a facility where lighting is a challenge, right? Mm -hmm. All the real life stuff that we deal with on a day to day basis. So, okay. Does that, does that make, does that answer your question? Yeah, I, I think so. That's why I was trying to understand the distinguishing factors between the manufacturer led training that's out there now. And it just sounds like it's, I mean, it being a manufacturer is part of it, but it also sounds like a, a big component is just that there can be a ton of variability based on who the specific trainer is basically. Yeah, that's right. And what that experience level of that trainer is, right? Like what they've actually done. Have they worked in the field or are they surgeons who know how to do surgery from a book? Yeah. Um, you know, I'll tell you the first, I say this to my guys all the time. Like if I'm ever on a job site, you know, forever, you know, red line and I, for some reason get pulled into the field, uh, I sweep floors. You know, I'm not a tradesperson. I just fell into floors and I love floors and I love the industry. Uh, so, you know, I'm a concrete geek, right? But yep. I can't do what they do. I can tell them about it, but I'm not going to be able to give them practical advice, you know, um, from my own personal experience. I can give it anecdotally. Um, so similarly, you know, the trainers from manufacturers, you're going to run into the same thing. All right. So let's transition to talking a little bit more about Black Bear. You've talked a few times about your expertise in concrete flooring. And I mentioned leading off the podcast that you guys operate in the New England region. Just if you could give us a bio where you guys operate, the types of coatings projects that you do, just what is it that makes you all unique from other contractors? Um, so really, we're, we like to label ourselves as seamless flooring contractors, and we want to be specific experts. So a lot of people are generalists, right? Kind of like a doctor. You go to your general physician, and they tell you, you know, an overall exam. Um we want to be more like a surgeon where we have a specific thing that we do. Um, so, you know, our service region is New England. Like you said, we do go to New York. Um, we are looking to grow and open regional offices um, and kind of really take the success that we've had here at home base and expand it uh, into the, the region. Um, we do probably two thirds of our work is strictly all things resinous from epoxy, urethane cement, uh, basic grinding seals with water-based epoxy, water-based urethanes. Um, the rest of our revenue would probably divide it up into polished concrete, um, traffic coatings, you know, decorative overlays, um, things that we tend to package with other projects. Mm. Um, we really specialize in vertical markets like life science and pharmaceutical. Uh, we've been able to make some inroads there. Um, we've been able to make inroads in food and beverage and some basic manufacturing. Obviously, we service other verticals too, like you know, uh, aerospace or uh, retail and things. But our, most of our bread and butter comes from uh, food and beverage and, and pharma worlds. So, what are some of your career highlights? Or I guess I could phrase that for the company as well. I know I worked with you a couple of years ago on the Fenway Park story, the home of the Boston Red Sox, which is a really cool job. Just for our listeners that are curious where and how Black Bear operates, what are some of the highlights as far as the really attractive or fun projects that you've done? So we, you know, we're very fortunate. Um, we have really great clients and we wouldn't be able to have great clients if it weren't for our great crews. We have awesome field guys. We have awesome office staff. Uh, and it's really a team effort that's been able to lead to the success. And so before, you know, we kind of talk about the cool projects, one of the greatest things for us organizationally, me for me personally, 
is the development internally. And as we've grown people, you know, we tell people, if you get hired here and you're doing the same thing a year later from when you got hired, you're doing something wrong, right? We want people to grow. We want people to expand their knowledge base. We want people to be able to uh, uh, progress through the company, make more money, do different roles and things like that. And at the same time, really, you know, help them build uh, a life they want to live. Like we really, that's our core purpose and that's what we do. And I think that's what's been able to lead us into being able to execute at high levels for clients. Um, last year was a really crazy year. I think everyone would agree with that. And when the world shut down, it was like 10 pounds of stuff in a two pound bag. Mm-hmm. Um, because everywhere that was, couldn't shut down previously was shut down and now they wanted to do all the work. Uh, hospitals, right? Hospitals were the last places where people wanted to work, but they were empty. So they were looking to do projects. So um, I would say like a highlight, you know, we did this job at Rantabio who has really cool science and behind them, um, drug curing capabilities. Uh, we had a couple other pharma projects, confidential ones we can't really talk about, where the science is really uh, impactful in terms of cancer treatments. Uh, and right now, you know, we're actually on one of the largest projects we've ever done, a uh, pharmaceutical job for Bristol-Myers in Massachusetts. Um, it's a cell therapy facility, you know, 100,000 plus feet of clean room floors and GMP environments um, that require not only a high level of execution uh, in the work in terms of quality, but you're moving fast, right? Like it's 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 you're just on to the next, next phase, next phase, next phase, um, trying to get this place open as quickly as possible so that they have real life impact on their patients and their clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say those are a couple highlights. Some other cool jobs we've done is uh, cannabis is large right now in Massachusetts. It's like the mm-hmm. green rush. Um, so facilities are popping up all over the place. Uh, right now we're in the middle of 70,000 feet of canopy for a grower. Um, amazing facility. I mean, one of the really interesting things for us as a business is that we do traditional pharma and cannabis is pharma, right? They just don't, they're not labeled that they're kind of the green sheep of the pharma world, but these facilities are amazing. I mean, they're exactly like traditional pharma, the process piping, the controls, the environments that they create. Uh, it's just really amazing stuff. And we've been fortunate where we've done a good job on the front side doing the initial install. So as these facilities need maintenance or as they need expansion, we get to go back. And when you get to go back and you get to see an operating facility, um, which you don't normally do, right? Like as a contractor, you know, you finish your job and you're out, you're on to the next one. And then you don't really get to come back and see it all tied together. But the rewarding part, I think for us and for our crews is that when we go back to a facility, we finished previously and get to see it in full swing. Uh, it's really, it's rewarding. You know, it's really neat to see uh, um, how they're using the space. You know, our floors are impactful. Um, like a, a, a real life example, uh, my father recently, you know, had, he's older, he had a fall and he went to the hospital and I was there with him and uh, the the doctor came in and he was, you know, had some medical devices and in that hospital for UMass in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. we had just done their SPD where they sterilize all the medical equipment. And I'm like, wow, like, you know, we did 8,000 square feet of this facility to make it cleaner so that, you know, it's, it's the, the equipment that is being used on patients. And I don't know, it's really neat. I think that's the, the coolest part. The most rewarding part is of our growth is um, really 
seeing our floors in action, seeing our people grow and um, the overall impact that has in the spaces we work. We touched earlier in the podcast about the internal training and why that's so important for you guys, especially when you bring in new workers and of course for the industry as well. I'm curious about the crews that you do have, the long-term employees. What are your strategies internally to develop those guys, to retain those guys? You mentioned earlier wanting them to be fulfilled. Just talk if you could as president of Black Bear Coatings and Concrete, what your priorities are when it comes to developing and and retaining the type of workforce talent that it requires to do those types of projects. It's really hard. uh, you know, I'll preface it by saying that, you know, and it's a work in progress for us. So really it's a two-part answer because retention and hiring are two different things. Um, we used to hire two experience. We wanted to find guys who knew the industry, um, who kind of had a background in floors, um, and we didn't have success with it. We've had the most success with hiring people who culturally fit our organization. Um, who want to grow and learn, who, you know, aren't, a, you know, one of our core values of the business, which everyone loves the most is uh, fail forward. Uh, what that means is like, we're never going to hold you. Uh, we're never going to fire you. We're never going to scold you for making mistakes. We just want to make sure that we learn from them. Right. Um, and so that type of cultural shift has really been impactful. The hard part is getting people up to speed where their work is impactful because someone from day zero, you know, to day 90, you know, you can't put them on a technical floor because you're going to essentially set them up to fill, right? Uh, and we don't want to do that. We want to make sure that we're putting people in positions that, you know, they'll be able to grow and they'll be able to be fulfilled in that. So the retention piece comes from so that's the hiring piece. The hiring piece is we've had the most success for hiring to our own individual core values, um, hiring to make sure that they're a cultural fit, that they're going to fit within the team, that, you know, they're going to, you know, see the vision, know what we want to do and all those types of things. The second part um, would be um, the, re- the retention piece. So the retention piece is, and again, you know, I'm the first one to tell you we're still working on it, but being able to track progress, break down skill sets. Like for an example, if someone needs to learn how to run a shop blaster, you know, what does that mean? What are the components of running a shop blaster? It's not just as simple as pulling the machine. Like, you know, you need to know how to address the blast media. How do you create the necessary surface profile for the flooring system we're installing? Are you looking for a CSP one, a CSP two, a CSP three, you know, educating them on that. If the blaster, it's not blasting straight, how to adjust it. Right. What are the power requirements of the blaster? If there's something not working correctly when it's hooked up by the electrician, you know, if the blast wheel breaks, what happens? Who changes it? Do you know how to change it? So that's one small example of two of a um, broken down task of an overall picture of someone. So we try and identify the key skills, key skill sets and move them forward. Uh, we identify leadership and we put them in a lead and training program. Um, with the ultimate goal to develop them to foremen. Um, and we have foremen who, you know, we're continually trying to expose to more and more things, have them, you know, learn more about industry tips, tricks from other installers, network with sister companies, not in competing regions. Um, and that's really how we do it. Um, you know, we have one of the bigger shifts, 
you know, and I'd recommend for anyone listening is we fought it for a while, but we have weekly meetings with our leadership level people mm-hmm. every week. You we don't miss them. And that continuity with the communication and um, making sure that the team is all on the same page and cascading messages, things that you would assume that others knew, but it has everyone speaking the same language. You have everyone driving the same direction and it's been super powerful. So when you put all of those things together, I think that's what's been successful um, for us as far as retaining employees and really being transparent with the organization. You know, where are we going? What are we doing? What are our failures? What are our successes? What do we need to learn from, you know? Um, and it all goes back to really like our core values and really pushing the organization to that. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Last question I've got for you. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Where is this company going over the next decade? So our goal is pretty ambitious, um, you know, but I think we're able to do it. We'd like to have 10 regional offices in 10 years um, and be able to offer increased benefits. We offer 50% health insurance now. We'd like to get to 80%. Uh, we do 5% 401k match. We'd like to raise that even higher. Um, we want to be able to set our people up so that they can retire one day. Um, and that's really where we want to be. You know, we'd like to have a really high retention rate like we do now, open the other offices um, and provide a solid business for our people that offers niche service offerings um, with selected markets. And that's it. That's what we'd like to do. I think that's a pretty good goal. I mean, the ambition, you certainly can't argue with that. I think it's nice to have that type of goal. Justin, before we sign off, where can people go to find out more information about Black Bear? Feel free to toss out your website, an email, anything you think that an interested listener wanting to know more about you all could potentially use to get started. Yeah, I mean, uh, the one of the places I'll always you know direct someone is our website, blackbearconcrete.com. Um, but we're also, we're big on a social media presence. So, you know, we'd love to have people follow us, uh, on Instagram, which is at black bear concrete. We're on Facebook, we're on YouTube. They're all connected. Um, you know, Instagram, you're going to see a lot of pictures of our work, uh, LinkedIn, you'll see pictures and you'll get context in the company and projects. Uh, and then our website, we really try and make it a resource, not only for our clients, but we want to make sure that everyone in the industry is promoting the best information possible. So we want to put as much good content out as we can from digital assets where we talk about brewery floors or pharmaceutical floors or uh, basic manufacturing grind and seals, right? We put content out because we want to share good information. So blackbearconcrete.com, at blackbearconcrete for the Instagram or on Facebook, all those places you can get more about us. Sounds good. Folks, that's where we will leave things on today's episode. And if you want more information on our end of things, check out the AMP website at ampp.org. And you can also visit coatingspromag.com for all sorts of news related to protective coatings. With that, we'll sign off. For Justin, I'm Ben DuBose. Thanks as always for listening. And please come back soon for another new podcast within the Coatings Pro interview series. Calling all coatings contractors. We have a great resource for you. Coatings Pro Magazine provides you with the latest news, trends, and technologies for your coding needs. And the best part? It's completely free to anyone who signs up. 
Simply visit CodingsProMag.com slash subscribe. Codings Pro. Know what the pros know.